We are once again live coming to you from I messed up the thing already. Coming to you live from Music City USA, aka Nashville, Tennessee. This is the All Anal Podcast presents All Anal Flicks with Sebastian Starr. I'm your host, Sebastian Starr. And today I wanted to do uh this be that compare and contrast between two films. Um, one that I have rewatched um in since I seen last 10 years or so, and one that is brand spanking new that just came out recently for your enjoyment. Uh, we're talking Creed 3 and Ready to Rumble, starring David Arquette and Scott Ken. <laughs> now, I was re-watching um, Ready to Rumble, and I was actually re-watching Creed 3 as well. They got it on streaming services now. I was re-watching both of those movies, and it dawned on me that they both feature a long line of spectators and spectacles involved or extremely passionate about the world of wrestling and or boxing um for creed 3 it's definitely you know engraved in that boxing culture the the type of people that you expect to see in the gyms working out those are who you see um the spectators the people who are crazy about the culture and you know obsessed with the fandom those are the people that you expect to see and ready to rumble it's more of a fan obsessed Excuse me. It's more of a fan obsessed type of ideology, right? Because a wrestler and a boxer are two completely different people doing two completely different forms of entertainment. A wrestler is like a professional stuntman. Yes, there is some severe injury involved. You know, they have some kind of physical um, advantage to the common man and common woman, for that matter. But they're putting on a show. It's very, very specific what's going on, how they're doing it, what they want to do, etc. Versus boxing, it's I feel like it's more, well, at least the way it was depicted in Creed 3, it's personal. Now, there were moments in both of the films where that script kind of comes into play. I'll give you an example. Uh, spoilers, if you haven't seen Creed 3, I apologize in advance. But um, there's a moment at an album release party where Adonis's wife is uh, releasing her new music, uh, her new song that she wrote and produced for Kalani, who I don't know if she's going by Kalani in the movie, but that's who's singing the song. And um, Damien, the antagonist, is there, um, kind of enjoying the party himself. And then at one point, Adonis kind of step away from him and talks to the current heavyweight champ who's going up against, you know, his opponent in a couple of weeks for a fight. They're very professional with it, though. It's not this whole grudge, this um, vendetta, you know. They're very, very professional. They keep it very, very professional the whole time. You know, they're just excited to fight each other, right? But you can tell he was like, we got the venue, we got the money, we got everything set up, everything's good to go. Y'all just come, bring what you bring, bring the action, bring the heat, bring the entertainment, right? This is boxing, and ready to rumble, and this again, this movie came out in like the late nineties, early two thousands. I don't know. This movie is old as hell. But um, in ready to rumble, there was one point where David Arquette, aka Gordy, and Scott Ken, aka Sean, go to their hero's house, Jimmy King, uh, to what well, was that house, the trailer park? But I digress. They go to him, and they're like, "You, you can't just give up. You know, you're the king. You can beat anybody. You're the greatest of all time. Whatever." He's like, yo, this is just a show. It's just an act. This is just a a performance. There's nothing serious going on here. Like, and and even when 
And they also had real life WWE wrestlers in Ready to Rumble too, which I think is amazing. Um, when they first got into their fight, Jimmy King versus Diamond Dallas Page, the headliner, right? The, during the whole like first couple of minutes of them fighting, they're talking to each other. Like, okay, I'm about to do this. Get ready for that. Brace yourself. Da, 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 da. Like they're talking each other through what their next move is going to be, how they're going to execute it and, you know, putting on the show. So it dawned on me after rewatching both of those movies that the professionalism of both wrestling and boxing all comes down to just being a form of entertainment for the masses. Like, yes, you may have a personal grudge. And it seems like in Creed, there's always a personal grudge, right? At the end of the fight, at the end of the movie, the last fight, it's always something personal, right? It's never just... Oh, I'm just doing this for... No, I'm doing this for a personal reason. And I'll go back to Creed 1 and 2 in a second. But, you know, at the end of the day, for these two particular fights specifically, it was just business. It was nothing personal. And then, of course, conflict happens between the characters and the movies and things, you know, go sour and all that shit. Now, those are the similarities that I found um, between the two. Now, the major difference is obviously you have wrestling, you have boxing, but something in Creed 3 that I specifically wanted to point out, and, you know, ever since the movie came out, people have been talking about the significance of it as far as um, deaf people representation because their daughter is deaf. So they have a lot of scenes where it's just them speaking in sign language or just communicating, you know, via sign language, no verbal no vocal communication whatsoever, which was dope, which was really, really dope. And then to find out that the little girl is actually deaf in real life kind of put the cherry on top. And she, in every interview I saw her, and she was just so flattered and so honored to be there. And she was so happy to hear people leave positive reviews and talk positively about her and her role and things like that. And <laughs> I thought it was quite adorable, but that seemed to be one of the biggest things that people wanted to make note of is that deaf person's representation in such a major media film, you know, in a franchise. And also seeing, you know, snippets, clippets of Sylvester Stallone saying how he would gladly come back and do Creed Four if Michael B. Jordan wanted to direct it. And the fact that this was Michael B. Jordan's directorial debut and it was a phenomenal, out of all three of the films, because I, re- I went back and rewatched the first two. Out of all three of the films, this was definitely the best one. The only, I'm not even going to say conflicting issue that I had with it, but I'm going to use that word very lightly. The only conflict that I could point out, and my dad actually pointed this out too, because we all went together to go see it. He was like, in the first two films, you know, when they're fighting at the end, that final fight, right? That's the climax of the film. By the end of the fight, they beat the fuck up. They busted up faces, swollen eye sockets, you know, bleeding profusely, all that shit. It seems like the fight in the middle of the movie was more dangerous and deadly than the fight at the very, very end. Now, don't get me wrong. They was beating the hell out of each other for sure. And spoiler alert, uh, Damien, who's played by Jonathan Majors, the antagonist of the entire film, got some literal sense knocked into him at that very last moment in their very last fight. And the shit was hard to watch. I'm not going to hold you because it looked like it hurt for real, for real. But if you compare the physical toll that their bodies took in this third film versus the physical tolls that their bodies took in the first two films, the first two films were definitely much more physical. 
they brought a lot more, you know, um, of that. I don't even know if it was special. That's not special. But like makeup and, you know, making themselves look beat the fuck up. They really went the extra mile in Creed's one and two. But in this third one, it was like they just got into a rough little fight. It was rough. You know, it wasn't detrimental. I didn't recognize this nigga Michael B. Jordan in Creed 2 because his face was swollen that bad. But in the third one, it was just like, damn, dude, what the fuck happened to you type shit. Like, it wasn't it wasn't too insane, but I digress. The pot, the storyline was so much better. It was so much more dramatic, and it just made a much more uh, impact on me versus the other two films. I'm not going to lie to you. I love the first two films. I love the first film was, I'm not going to say... <laughs> I'm thinking about when Michael B. Jordan was on the red coffin and that girl who he went to school with who called him corny, he called her out for calling him corny, which kudos to him for doing it. But after rewatching the first two films, I said she was probably right. You probably were lame as hell in high school. And I'm not saying that, no disrespect now, because I love Michael B. Jordan. I think he's a phenomenal actor. Again, his directorial debut with Creed 3 was outstanding. I loved everything about it. And he seems like such a nice guy. <laughs> but I have zero doubts in my mind that he wasn't the corniest nigga on planet Earth in high school. I just, I don't, I believe her. I believe her. If she says that you were corny, sir, you probably were. That doesn't mean that you're corny now. That doesn't mean that you're not relevant now. And yes, she is wrong for coming at you with that, hey, friend type of demeanor and attitude when she knows just as well as you do that y'all wasn't really cool like that. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is she probably wasn't <laughs> Because his entire demeanor in Creed 1 was frustrating. You quit a great-ass job to go pursue a career that your father once had for literally no reason. And I re I told you, I rewatched the first one, and I couldn't figure out why he felt he needed to do that. He didn't have to prove himself to anybody. He wasn't struggling anymore. Yes, he was plucked out of the juvenile facility um, by his stepmom or his father's wife, whatever you want to call her. And, you know, she took him in, raised him as her own and, and gave him a, a better life. You didn't have to do anything else after that, but you kept fucking up and you just kept doing shit. That's not the handle there. I don't need to know why you did that. It's not important. And the second one, okay, now you done made a name for yourself. Everyone is only looking at you as your father's son. Now you have to, you know, make a name. And then you're going up against the guy whose uh, father killed your father in his last fight. And everybody is telling you, don't do that shit. And what does your stubborn ass do? You do it anyway. Now, conveniently, I think his name was Drago. Uh, not conveniently, but coincidentally, Drago pops up again in the third film to fight the current champ. I think his name was um, um, Felix. I want to say it was Felix. I'm not trying to. I'm not. I, I have. I should have wrote this down. But um, he's going up against the current heavyweight champ because at this point, Michael B. Jordan's character is retired. He's been retired for about five years, three years, three years. I think he's been retired for three years at this point. He's just a trainer. You know, he has his own like brand of fighters who come and go and speak on his, or fight for his behalf or whatever the case may be. And that's the big fight that Damien's character, or that Damien sabotaged so that they can fight instead. Um, and so he's going up against the same guy who almost beat your ass in the second one, but y'all are cool now. And that's what I mean by professionalism. Like, it's no longer personal. In the second film, it was personal, right? 
your dad killed my dad. I'm taking this very personal. You're challenging me. I'm challenging you. This is very personal. This time, it's just business. We cool now. We homies. We friends. I'm not tripping off of, you know, three years ago. You know, I'm just looking toward the future, moving forward. Cool. I ain't got no You didn't kill my dad. I don't have any beef towards you. You know what I mean? But at time comes and I had to prove myself and things had to do what they had to do and that's how it is now so it's again it's all professional and there's no animosity towards anybody and I loved that because they could have came back with that whole bittersweet bullshit oh this isn't over and even in the beginning when they show Adonis's final fight in the beginning of Creed 3 it's against the nigga that he fought in the first film and he wins. Now, if you watch the first film, you know that he lost that final fight. Technically speaking, I think it was by punches or score, whatever the fucking score is for boxing. I don't know. Um, but he fights him again in the beginning of Creed 3 and he wins. So, again, it's nothing personal. There's no animosity. They just doing their job. So, everything changes when Damien walks into the goddamn room. <laughs> Oh, God, I love Jonathan Majors. But anyway, I digress. Uh, another thing about Creed 3 specifically that I want to talk about that I feel like nobody is talking about is the relevance relevance of Black men's mental health. And that is, you know, gunshotted throughout the entirety of the film. So again, spoilers if you haven't seen it. But the whole reason why Jonathan Major's character, Damien, acts the way that he does is because he's suffering from childhood trauma, unresolved childhood trauma. Uh, Michael B. Jordan's character, Adonis, is doing the exact same thing. The only difference is Adonis was able to find other outlets, healthier coping mechanisms that kind of got him through those without him having to verbally talk about it. Uh, Tessa Thompson, who plays his wife, is like the therapist, right? She's his wife. She's his best friend. She's supposed to know everything about him. And she's telling him, you're closed off emotionally. You know, there's a point where the daughter gets in trouble at school for fighting. Obviously, her father's a fighter. She adores him. She admires him. She watches all of his fights and she mimics everything that he does. She doesn't have a reason to be fighting. Technically, she is getting bullied, but... You know, there's no other reason for her to be physically hurting anybody else. And she's actually pretty damn good at it, which I think is hilarious because she's, what, seven? Um, so that's something that is discussed, but no one else outside of the film seems to be talking about that aspect. So I kind of want to touch bases on it because there are so many points throughout the film where Tessa Thompson is like, I need you to open up and tell me what's going on. I need you to be honest with me. I need you to be real with me. I need you to... Release yourself. Let me know what's happening so I can know the best way that I can help you. He, being a man, being a black man, oh, ain't nothing wrong with me. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about it. It's over with. It's over with. You can't keep doing that. And eventually, he reaches his breaking point and he just lets it all out. Okay, I got to, uh, you want to know? I'm about to tell you, you know. Me and Dame, we were dealing with some shit in our childhood and it, it led to him getting arrested. And that's why he's holding on to this grudge so tightly because I ran away when I should have been standing by his side. And, you know, whatever the I'm not trying to tell too, too much, just in case you do want to go back and watch. But I pretty much told you everything you need to know. So Damien is dealing with unresolved childhood trauma the only way that he knows how. And that is to fight. He fights everyone and everything, every 
barrier in front of him, he sees an obstacle to go through rather than work through. And unfortunately, Adonis Creed is now one of those barriers that he feels like he needs to um, go through rather than work through or work things out together. And again, when I said that he knocked some sense into him by the end of this movie, in the beginning, he was all talking through everything, everything, everything. You live in my life for 18 years and blah, blah, blah. By the end of the film, he's sitting there like, nah, man, we was just kids, man. I don't know what I was thinking. Yeah, he got some fucking sense knocked into him. That's what the fuck happened. The nigga literally knocked some sense into his goofy ass and changed his entire perspective of the world around him. And that is the, it's not funny because the reality is he represents a man who is hurting and is desperate for, you know, closure and just affection in a positive way. Like he didn't get any of that. And when he was in jail, he was he was struggling still. So he represents the type of man who is so severely damaged that you think he's unsavable, that he's un, you know, that you can't put him back together. He's not fixable. And apparently what it took was for his best, best friend, his damn near brother, to hit him so hard in the face that he just got that fucking reality check. Like, you know what? Maybe I was bullshitting. Maybe I was tripping just a little bit. It's not even that serious. I, I didn't even mean it when I said it initially. So we're good. I, I ain't got no beef with you to do. <laughs> And here's the thing that I thought was kind of funny, kind of tickled me a little bit. Everybody was like, man, Creed, how are you going to help that guy be a boxer? And he's older than you. Ironically, Michael B. Jordan is older than Jonathan Majors by like three years, which... You couldn't tell by looking at him because Jonathan Majors is gigantor compared to Michael B. Jordan, who is, you know, handsomely average size, I want to say. He's got a great build, don't get me wrong, but if you put the two of them together, I'd, I would have thought that Jonathan Majors was older too, but no, they're like three years apart, Michael B. Jordan being the oldest out of the two, and I just think that that's funny. But anyway, moving on. Now we're going back over to Ready to Rumble real quick for the contrasts of this conversation. First things first, I want to give my flowers to David Arquette. I didn't realize it at first, but after rewatching, I've watched the movie like three times in the past two weeks because it's it triggered that nostalgia. Like it triggered a feeling of damn. I remember watching this when I was little, like a child, and I loved it. I didn't like wrestling too much, but I loved that movie. Um, I would consider David Arquette to be the original Scream King. I know people talk about Scream Queens a lot. Jamie Lee Curtis being at the tippity-top tier of that. And then if you think about the actual franchise Scream, which David Arquette is um, a part of, you have Nev Campbell and Courtney Cox um, as the Scream Queens of that franchise. But I think he deserves his flowers for sure. And if you think about it, if you think about it real, 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 real hard, every single film that David Arquette is in, he is screaming his fucking head off. And you think about uh, the Scream franchise, every single one, screaming. Uh, Eight-Legged Freaks, another one of my favorite films from my childhood. He's screaming in that. Fucking ready to rumble. He's screaming in this. God damn it. He's, he's, he, that's, that's like his signature trademark. And it's just something that he does in every single, and it's very recognizable too. So he has a very recognizable scream. But specifically in, in, in this film, like I said, I was re-watching it a couple of times this past week. 
And I also watched the series Swarm on Amazon Prime. Now, I'm bringing that up because the level of obsession is damn near identical between the main character in Swarm and David Arquette in Raid Rumble. The only difference is David Arquette did not have a psychotic break. That's the only difference. That because again, spoilers if you haven't seen Swarm, but she that's the only reason why she goes crazy and starts like killing. She's already unstable. She's already, you know. Like, she can't be trusted with money. She's not good with managing her time. Her priorities are in all the wrong places. Um, and her level of obsession with this musician is unhealthy. David Arquette's character, Gordy, is obsessed to the full extent to uh, with this wrestler, Jimmy King, almost to the point where it's a little ridiculous. It's, it's extremely, extremely unhealthy. And just like in Swarm... David Arquette has a best friend, Scott Can, a.k.a. Sean, who is just as obsessed with this idol celebrity, but in more of a rational way. He still has his priorities in order. He still talks about, you know, he still works, functions well with society. Yes, he talks a lot about the, the wrestler to people who don't care to listen, but the two of them share that obsession, and they're the only two people who are on that level of obsessed with this guy. And then I thought about it some more because this is what I do. I think about things. Um, they said that Jimmy King's title reigned for 14 years. Now, that's a long ass time to be doing one thing. But to put it in perspective, if he's been wrestling for about 14 years, I want to say Sean and Gordy were maybe in their early to mid 20s, 24, 25, 26 range right that means that they have been watching the same man do the same thing since they were 10 years old give or take that's a long ass time to be watching somebody do something but that also explains why they were so obsessed with them because they've been watching him for over a decade and he never loses he was their hero he was their king you know what i'm saying so that makes sense and just like in swarm uh the two girls um Dominique Fishback and Chloe Bailey have been obsessed with their idol, uh, Nyjah, since they were also, you know, preteens and teenagers. And they watched her come up as this, you know, significant musician, artist, and they just became obsessed with her. And so that makes sense as well. Now, in regards to Ready to Rumble, Gordy sees wrestling as not just a pastime, but something that he actually wants to do. He wants to be a wrestler. Opening scene, Sean is telling um, them the story, the history of Jimmy King, the wrestler, and Gordy's daydreaming on what it would be like to, to not just meet him, but to work with him, to wrestle alongside him, to do what he does. It's a passion of his that he wants to pursue, right? And eventually, you know, he does obviously get there, but not before they kind of tag team unironically to help him retrieve his title back, you know, gain back his respect in the community and, you know, reclaim his throne, as it were. So there are a lot of similarities between Raider Rumble and Swarm. Sure, as far as the level of obsession with, you know, idolizing a celebrity. Um, but the only difference is they actually had a, a more satisfying outcome versus in Swarm, everything just kept getting worse and worse and worse. And again, they didn't lose touch with reality. They they were well aware of what they needed to do until they had nothing else to lose. And then they were just like, you know what? Fuck it. Let's just, what's the worst that could happen, right? So 
there's a significant uh, difference on that. And as I mentioned before, um, Ready to Rumble features so many real life WWE wrestlers. Um, Diamond Dallas Page being the antagonist, and I was talking to my brother about it because I was rewatching it with him, and he was like, I'm pretty sure in real life, Diamond Dallas Page is a very, very, very nice guy, but he fits the criteria of antagonist so well. Like, he plays a good bad guy, and that was why he was chosen to do it. They had uh, Goldberg, they had um, Sting, they had Booker T, they had um, Disco Inferno. They had a lot of people in the movie. And some of them, you know, only you only seen snippets of. Only a couple of them had actual lines throughout. But it was very much influenced by WWE culture, which at the time was such a big deal. Like, everybody that I knew was watching wrestling like that. And it was such a... And even now, still today, these same individuals can still be brought up in conversation as relevant. Like, that that era of time for wrestling was so culturally significant and important to this current generation, the generations before. And again, it's all just entertainment. Everything that's being done is for the masses, and it's just to entertain and enjoy. So that was my little two cents on Creed and Ready to Rumble. I love both of these movies to death. And before I, before I close out, because I said I was going to go back and talk about Creed 1 a little bit, and I'm going to do it. Uh, so, and, and if you compare Creed 1 and Creed 2 to Creed 3, the storyline in Creed 3 makes a whole lot of sense. You, at this point, are a very, very successful individual. You are like a millionaire at this point. You have made a name, a reputation for yourself. You've changed the lives of all of these people. People adore you, admire you. You know, you got influences all over the place. In Creed 1, again, he had no real fucking reason <laughs> to stop doing what he was doing to pursue boxing. He did not have to do that. I don't, I'm to this day, I cannot make it make sense. He just wanted to do it. In Creed 2, okay, it's a bit more personal now. You're going up against a guy who is whose father is responsible for your father not being here anymore. This is serious. You really shouldn't be doing this shit. You have to fucking stop. And at that point, he done got engaged and they done got pregnant and all that shit. And it's just like, dude, think about this. Before you proceed moving forward, just think about what you're risking what you're doing, how you're doing it. It's not worth it, but he does it anyway. <laughs> and this third film, and I'm probably going to watch it again. Thank God he finally decides to hang up the gloves and calls it a damn day. Only for a nigga who he has not seen in 18 years to pop up out the blue on some, hey man, do you remember me? And he has to be like, oh shit. It's Damien and oh this and and let me tell you what I love uh, what I love about Jonathan Majors in this movie because he was so convincing and maybe that was my issue when the first two Creed movies when I rewatched those I wasn't convinced by Michael B. Jordan's character I didn't believe him when he said what he was saying I only believed him when it came time to prove that he could do it. Other than when he was just talking, I didn't believe none of that shit. When 
uh, I would say Damian Majors. When Jonathan Majors was talking, I believed him. He said, I don't think you understand, so I'm going to make it clear. I want the title. I'm coming for everything. I said, I believe you, Jonathan Majors. (laughs) I believe that you can do it, and you're going to do it, and nobody's going to stop you, and I'm damn sure not, because look at how, just no. Absolutely fucking not. So I was so much more, and, and I'm not saying that to say that Michael B. Jordan isn't a good actor, that he can't deliver, but... Jordan, I keep getting his name wrong. Jonathan Majors got that little something special that just makes it more believable. I believe him when he says, I'm going to do this. You're going to do it. It's it's not that hard to convince. But in those first two Korean movies, Michael B. Jordan was so goddamn hard to believe. And maybe he came out with all the stops this time because, again, it was his directorial debut and he's been doing Creed for so long. He knows the story well enough. He knows the characters well enough. He knows what direction he feels like it should be going and how it should be going there and all of that shit. So I feel like at this point, you know, this is where I can shine my brightest. And honestly, I was really excited about going to go see it, but I also didn't know what to expect because again, the first two films, they weren't bad. They were not bad films. They were just a little corny, just a little bit. So I didn't have the highest of hopes. I didn't have the grandest of expectations. I just went in under the impression that this was going to be a really good movie. And it completely blew me out the motherfucking water. It was a great movie. I absolutely fucking loved it. And I honestly hope that they continued to let Michael B. Jordan run things in the Creed franchise. There's like six Rocky movies. They can make, they can pump three more Creeds out over the next 10 years. And I'd be cool with that. But, um, no, nah, man, Jonathan Majors really did his thing in Creed three. And, and, you know, I appreciate that guy. Michael B. Jordan did his absolute thing in Creed three directing it all. Like it was, it was a great film that touched base on so many different things And all of those things are significant, every single one of them. Like when it comes to your mental health, learning how to cope with things in a healthy way versus just being angry all the time and letting that control your life to the point where you can't even function in society. Um, Being a positive influence on your children, you know, letting them see you, you know, yeah, your highs and lows, but how you work through them is the most important thing. You know, being aware that everything you do is being observed by your children and, they're so easily influenced and you being the person they look up to the most, you can't really fuck up in that aspect. So you got to be better if not for you than for them. Right. And every single like thing in between, you know, cutting through obstacles the right way, getting that positive uh, motivation and influence and putting niggas in their places, apparently, because that's something that needs to happen from time to time. And having to prove to yourself and to other people that you're not something to just roll over. You can't be taken advantage of. You can't be taken for granted. You can't be, you know what I'm saying, too vulnerable, even around people that you've known for years and love to death. Like It's so many different messages in Creed 3 that just resonate so heavy and are so relevant now that I hope when people watch it in the future, they're like, oh man, I can I can get jiggy with that. Like it ages well type shit, but... Anyway, that was my that was my compare contrast of Ready to Rumble Creed three, and pretty much the whole Creed franchise at this point. 
Uh, great movie if you haven't seen it, and I highly recommend it. But thank you all for tuning in. As always, I always, always appreciate it. Uh, and until next time, I will speak to you all later.